This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the FA New England 12-Step Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes for the 12-Step Committee tape library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I am extraordinarily, unbelievably grateful to be standing here doing service for this FA program um, and to be able to say with incredible humility that I am 16 years away from sugar and flour and eating compulsively, using food as a drug, um, and that I have been in the same body size for all these years. That in itself is an unbelievable miracle. I was never in the same weight for two weeks straight ever in my entire life. Um, My life has completely changed since I've came into this program. I I was um, I grew up in a home where my mother. I've come to learn from being in recovery that my mother had our addiction, and so she had the the you know the clothes in her closet ranged from size 12 to 22 and um and I was one of four children my sister was 3 years older than I am and I have a sister 11 months younger and then a brother came along when I was 12 years old and um we grew up in a really nice middle class family um but what I remember from my childhood is a lot of fear. You know, I, I've come to understand that my food addiction is um, is a bona fide problem like alcohol addiction is. But it's also very much involves a disease of fear, doubt, and insecurity. And before I became um, abusive with food, I clearly can identify myself as somebody who had fear, doubt, and insecurity my entire life. I never felt like I belonged anywhere, always felt different from everybody else, always felt that I was inadequate, that I didn't measure up, that other people could do things better than I could. Um, and I could go to, to the other extreme, too, and think that I was better than other people. I just was never just one of a bunch of people. And as a kid, I remember really being frightened as well. Um, 
so I was very insecure, like I said, growing up, and yet, um, you know, I, I had what I needed to live. You know, my family were, were uh, they were a nice family, they were loving. My mother had this disease, however, and so she was like a Jekyll and Hyde, so I was frightened of her unpredictability. You know, she, she would either scream and yell and go crazy and pull us down the stairs by our ponytails in the, in the middle of the night if we didn't have the, if the dishes weren't cleaned in the sink, um, which of course is you know cra- crazy crazy behavior, which I understand now is is fueled by by this. D- 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 disease of ours Um, and on the other hand sometimes she would just love us and hug us and squeeze us and say we're the most wonderful precious things in the world and I get a kick out of that when I think of it because I think of myself as growing up very homely I had buck teeth my eyes were crossed I had surgery when I was seven years old because I I was cross-eyed and yet what I do remember my mother saying is, you're so beautiful, you're so precious. So I was not hurting for love. This this disease isn't about a lack of love. You know, it's about a lack inside of me. You know, I, I really understand, having been in recovery for a while now, that my problem was that there was an emptiness inside of me that could not be filled by any amount of love or food or attention. There wasn't enough of anything in the world for me um i now know that that can only be filled with this program and with god and with living the right kind of way and doing the right things that's how i know today i get my happiness is from working this program um but i didn't know that then so i was on the search for happiness my whole life and when i became uh, when i was in high school I like to say that my first drug was my boyfriend because he's the one that I hid behind. Richie was his name, and he's the one that, you know, if, if, if as long as I had him to go out with, let's say, on the following Saturday night, it didn't matter what kind of social confusion or anything I was going through. I had him to look forward to being with, so I didn't deal with anything in life. I didn't deal with any problems. And... um and I know that, that that he was a drug for me because when he went off to college, I was absolutely a basket case. I was sobbing and sobbing like you cut off both my arms. I, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die when he went to school. And that's where my addiction started to really take off. I, I believe I crossed that line quickly. You know, it says in the big book that we call Alcoholics Anonymous that's you know, we cr- you cross the line from problem drinking to alcoholism. Well, I believe I crossed the line pretty quickly from um, a problem eater to a food addict or a compulsive overeater to a food addict because um, once I put that food in my mouth, there wasn't any stopping. So when I went to college, that's when my I began to have a weight problem when I was 18 years old, 19 years old. I went to UMass Amherst, and within about two months, I gained 20 pounds. Um, and it was awful. I, I remember 
just not even like knowing how this happened. It's like the blackout drinker. It's like I, I woke up one, one day and said, oh, my God, I've got 20 pounds on me, like without even knowing how it happened. And when I look back on it, I know exactly how it happened. I have a disease of fear, doubt, and insecurity. I was in a situation where I didn't have coping skills like college, didn't know how to deal with life situations, social situations. So I turned to alcohol and to food and to men all at the same time, and cigarettes, to try to make it all better. And all it did is make it worse. I was not functioning in my classes. I wasn't doing the homework I was supposed to do. Um, I believe I had a nervous breakdown that semester. There's no question about it. I, I was having anxiety attacks, um, and it was awful. And that's where my obsession to be thin started to come in, too. I had this crazy idea that... If only I got thin, then I would be able to be happy. You know, then I could be confident and relate to other people and life would be fine. Um, so somehow I made a decision, consciously or unconsciously, but from that point, from the age of 19 till I walked through these doors when I was 27, for those eight years, that was the mission I was on. Um, what I wanted was to eat and be thin. That's what I wanted. I wanted everything. I wanted to have what I wanted, but I also wanted to be thin. And um, so that's what I did is I, I started my own attempts. And again, I really have... A problem with being isolative, you know, with keeping things to myself, not talking to other people about things. And, um, and like I said, feeling less than all the time. So that's how I behaved. You know, I, I tried to keep up with what other people were doing, but it wasn't right for me. You know, for example, I started to be um, promiscuous with the boys who lived on the college floor that I lived on. You know, I mean, I'm not talking every night, but often enough so that um, my self-esteem was just plummeting lower and lower. And I wasn't mature emotionally or physically to handle that behavior at all. So the next day I would, you know, not be able to look people in the eye and... I know that I ate and drank over that a lot. I was just mortified and also unrealistically angry that these people weren't laying down their life for me now, you know, that they weren't going to give me them all of themselves. You know, in the meantime, I was, you know, it's like I've learned in this program to take responsibility for my own behavior. I showed up in these situations willingly. You know, I was a willing participant. And so... I was not a victim, and yet that's how I always felt, like I was a victim of my circumstances. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, I was not. I voluntarily showed up to be self-destructive because I went to any lengths to be accepted. No matter what it was, I went to any length to be accepted because of how much I hated myself. Um... And that not only hurt myself, but it hurt other people. And these are the things, you know, these are the things that I would, um, that I would eat, that I would eat over. 
and I ate over feeling sorry for myself. You know, it's like, for example, I was at an I was at a time in my life where I should have been really enjoying myself. I was in my early twenties. Um, I had a good education. I graduated with a nursing degree, and um, I had you know a couple of nice friends and a nice family, and yet I was miserable. I was depressed, really, really depressed, and um, and I would watch my friends be able to converse with people, go out to places and join and meet people. And what I would do is I would go with them to bars and try to meet guys. And naturally, in that kind of situation, in that setting, I wasn't going to, you know, meet people who um, who were really in line with the kind of value system that I that I really have. So I put myself in those those positions, and I would come home feeling really sorry for myself that I didn't get a boyfriend that night, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I would eat, and I would eat from 11:30 to like two in the morning. Almost every weekend night, that's what I would do. I would eat with Johnny Carson. I'm showing you how old I am now because he's been off the air for a long time. But that's what I would do. He'd be my buddy from 11.30 to 1. Um, and I would eat with abandon. I would go from one end of my mother's cabinets to the other. And it would be all sugar and flour stuff, salty grease. I clearly am addicted to sugar, flour, quantities, grease. The greasier, the better. The sweeter, the better. Um, I know I'm abnormal with food because I could never, ever relate to when people would say, oh, that's too rich, or oh, that's too sweet, or oh, that's too salty, or oh, that's too much. It's like, no, you know, there, isn't, there wasn't enough at all. I, I, I really hope that I'm conveying how empty I felt my whole life because there was no way that any amount of food was going to fill that 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 emptiness, um, and I am a true addict. I was smoking cigarettes. I was um, drinking alcohol to numb out my life, my feelings about myself and my life, and I was eating abusively. Um, and I was miserable. And yet I had everything to live for. You know, I did have, like I said, I, I had a nice job. I had nice parents. I had friends who cared about me, but I didn't care about myself at all. Um, mentally, I was very sick. I was in and out of therapy for a lot of years. And um, I remember fantasizing about my death. I never really made any suicide attempt, but I got pleasure out of thinking that I'd be dead and, and about who would cry at my funeral that made me happy and that is really so selfish to think about how happy I would be at other people's misery at my being gone I mean that's really selfish but that's what I got a kick out of thinking gee you know that made me feel good to to think I was I fantasized like I was Tom Sawyer watching my funeral and that people would be happy at my at my death um Oh, I'm so grateful that I'm not in that place today. It's like as I'm talking about this person, I'm talking about like another person. It's like it's not who Carol is today. It's just unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. It blows my mind how putting four ounces of food on the scale can change my entire life.
I haven't understood this for 16 years, and I'm not even going to bother to try to understand it. I don't even, I don't have to understand it. All I know is I was miserable. I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stop hurting myself. And when I came into this program and surrendered to the suggestions of this program, which I'll tell you about in a few minutes, I got happy. And that's the truth. You know, I got happy. I, I got able, to, I became able to live a life that is absolutely a wonderful life. You know, my, my feet are on the ground, but my head is in the clouds with God because I, I live a normal life. You know, you, you, you pinch me, I say, oh, you cut me and I bleed. I'm a human being, you know, but um, I'm not anywhere near the miserable person I was before this program. So let me go back. For those eight years, 19 to 27, um, I, I was obsessed with diets. Oh, God. I tried to calculate how much money I spent on them, probably $2,000. I joined Weight Loss Clinic, Weight Loss Medical Center, Weight Watchers, all of those things to try to stop eating. Um, and I would have great resolve. I would, you know, when I would do something, I would, I would do it 100% when it came to that. You know, because I really wanted to be thin more than anything in the world. That's what I wanted. Um, I, I resented thin women. Anywhere I saw a thin person, I resented them. They could have been, <laughs> they could have been crazy as a loon, but if they were thin, I wanted what they had. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what they were doing in their life. I wanted their bodies. Um, so that's what I wanted. And, and I would really, you know, really want it and I would be careful and I would watch my how I was eating and I would be on this diet really diligently and then something would happen something something minor I don't even, I don't even know what it was it could have been anything that bothered me I'm a food addict I would start to eat and I would all the dignity and grace that I had temporarily at that diet would just be gone again and I'd be an animal once again just shoveling the food in my mouth. Absolute animal. And I didn't know it then, but I'm so grateful for the education that I got here. What I didn't know was that I'm addicted to food, that I'm not a weak-willed glutton, that this is not a moral issue, that I'm not a bad person for having the disease that I have, I'm not a bad person for having fear, doubt, and insecurity. I'm not a bad person because I can't control my food. I'm a sick person with a bona fide addiction like alcoholics have, like cocaine addicts have, like heroin addicts have. And that was music to my ears, absolute music to my ears. I know I'm jumping back and forth, but I, I get so excited about recovery that I, I kind of jump to the present when I'm qualifying. Um, so I hope that this is going to come out in a clear, concise way of what my life has been like. Um, so basically, those 10 years, you know, I, I just tried my way, Carol's way, to try to lose weight, and it didn't work. Um, obviously, because my will is self-destructive. My will is to eat and to try to seek pleasure at any possible way. Um, looking to be gratified in the moment. So I was up and down and up and down. Um, 
I also, you may have heard me, you did hear me stutter earlier in this tape, and that's a, an important part of my recovery because um, a large part of my addictive eating days, a large part of my eating days, I know was directly related to my being mute. Um, people who know me today have a hard time believing that I was once quiet and not able to speak, but I really did go through um, several years in my late teens, early 20s, where I hardly ever spoke. I, mean, I spoke when I had to, maybe to friends, but when there was something that I really felt in my heart, I didn't speak because when I would get excited or emotional about something, I would start to stutter. And I have such pride about not being perfect that I didn't want to come across as less than perfect. And so I wouldn't say it at all. Um, and so that was, I was squelching my spirit. I mean, I wasn't living and acting the way uh, God wanted me to act because I wasn't being myself. And I've learned in this program that we need to really be ourselves in order to help other people and to help ourselves. It's not, you know, it's, it's a disservice to God to not be who I am. And so my fear of stuttering kept me quiet. Um, and it was so frustrating because I would be in classes and I would know the answer some of the time. <laughs> and I wouldn't raise my hand to say what it was because I was afraid I was going to stutter. And someone else would raise their hand and say the same thing. And it was right. And I would say, you know, damn it, why didn't I do that? And the reason why I say that's an important part of my recovery is because um, with the loving help of my God and my fellowship, I have actually reduced the amount of stuttering in my life by slowing down and asking God for help. I still do sometimes, and I believe that that's God's way of keeping me humble and reminding me to slow down and reminding me that I need him. And just reminding me that I'm human and that's, this is just something that I have, you know. Some people, you know, some people have blue eyes. Some people have, you know, um, have broken bones or whatever. Or some people have, you know, uh, hips that aren't in perfect alignment. I happen to have a stuttering problem. And this is who I am. And I'm just so grateful that I don't have to eat over it. And that I can even develop a sense of humor which has really been helping me to um, get over it. As a matter of fact, what I did right after I, when I studied earlier, studied earlier on this tape on, on the word disease was I said, God help me accept myself exactly as I am, right after I said that. And, um, and it was wonderful. Then I forgot about it like a second later. I would have obsessed like hell on it some years ago. So anyway, moving forward... Um, Again, I was up and down with all these diets. They weren't working. I was not um, was not living a full life. I was becoming more and more isolated. My mother uh, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and. I mean, I didn't need something big like that to eat over, but that was something that um, my disease 
progressed even worse at that point. And I would, you know, I would go and I would go to fast food places, McDonald's, Burger King's. I would go one after the other. And then I would go home and have supper. You know, I would, you know, and, and I would kind of rationalize and not even acknowledge to myself even that I was doing that eating because it wasn't really having dinner because I wasn't home yet. But I was stopping off at a million places, you know. It's like it didn't count. If I was standing up, it didn't count or something. You know, and, and then oftentimes when I was on my crazy self-imposed diets towards the end of my, of my disease, I would, you know, for example, I wouldn't eat anything till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then I would have one lettuce leaf. That's all I would have, like one piece of lettuce, something crazy like that, or a piece of cheese. And it's like, I really believe I'm a food addict. Sugar and flour are absolute addictive substances to me, but I am a food addict because when there is no food in my mouth at all, when there's no food, I'm okay. But when I have any food in my mouth, I crave more of it So I, without this program. So that's what I would do. I'd have this lettuce, piece of lettuce leaf and piece of cheese, and it's like, of course, my electrolytes were all screwed up because I had been fasting all day long, which, by the way, I've come to realize that I have this, um, there's a definite an, an anorexic component to my d disease. Um, I really have um, been humbled, not even, you know, Actually, not even the, the too distant past. You know, in the last, um, within the last year or so, I've been aware of the tendency that I have to, um, to mentally be obsessed with worrying about whether I'm going to get too fat. You know, it's a, this is a serious, serious disease, and it takes away real freedom of living when I worry too much about whether I'm going to get fat. Um, And that's a big part of where I was coming from in the past. But like I said, once I put that food in my mouth, I was gone and just gone, gone. So my mother was diagnosed with cancer, and I remember one of my last binges was coming from her house in Marblehead, Massachusetts, eating, uh, eating dinner there. And going past, it was in the summertime, and I would go past where... Um, They serve that cold, creamy stuff in the summertime. I was holding it in my hand, wearing painter pants, which, by the way, I was busting out of, you know, I, I, I didn't tell you that my, my numbers, but I'm maintaining something like between a 20 and a 25-pound weight loss, which was, is the equivalent to my friend's 200 pounds in the way I felt about myself and in the way that I was eating so out of control. But that's the amount of weight that's been off my body. Um, And I, and I was up, I was up that 20, 25 pounds at this point in the summer with these painted pants that were, you know, uh, stretched to the limit. And I was eating this cold stuff. It was dripping on me. I was depressed. I was crying when I was eating it. And it was just the most horrible thing because this was the epitome of powerlessness over food. I had to have it, and yet I didn't really want to be eating it. And it was an exact example of looking for comfort. I was looking for comfort, and it was giving me just the opposite. I was mortified. I was paranoid. I was thinking everybody along Revere Beach Boulevard was watching me. I mean, the self-centeredness of this disease is unbelievable. People had 
A lot of things better to do than to look at some strange girl in her car eating. So um, that that was that's what helped bring me to my knees. At that and after, well, the last thing was um, I had joined a weight loss clinic, spent five hundred dollars, lost twenty five pounds in five weeks, and gained seven pounds that following week. As soon as that I got on their maintenance schedule, I gained seven pounds in a week. Um, and I was also very sensitive, super sensitive to any kind of criticism at all. And I had a roommate at the time who was very soft, soft-spoken generally. And I kept on complaining to her about my weight, kept on complaining. I was really very boring to be around those days because I had this one-track mind. I just want to be thin. I just want to be thin. I mean, I was a drag to be around. And she said to me finally, she said, why don't you just do something about it? Oh, when I was so sensitive, I couldn't believe she would talk to me that way. But I was complaining to her right along. It was a perfectly legitimate, logical thing for her to say to me. But so I'm grateful God used that, plus my willingness and my feeling desperate enough to come to a meeting, which, by the way, was not my first meeting. You know, I have a strong will. I went to a meeting five years before this time where I did finally um, surrender. So I came to a meeting January of 1982. My life has changed absolutely drastically since that meeting because, like I said, I found out that I'm not a bad person. I came home to my house and I said to my parents, guess what? I'm sick. I was so excited. I'm sick. I have a problem that's like alcoholism. It's a real It's addiction like alcoholism. There's a book written about me. It's unbelievable. I'm so grateful that I'm sick. And, you know, they didn't understand why I was so elated, of course. But And my mother went through all kinds of guilt. Oh, what did I do to you? What did I do to you? Um, and But I was really happy that there was something that I could do about my problem now. So I went to five to seven meetings a week for a long, long time, probably for a year or so. I got into an AWOL right away, and these 16 years have been a, an incredible journey. Um, like I said, I'm coming from being depressed and feeling sorry for myself and a sad sack and quiet and nobody knowing me. And then here I got, I had instant, unconditional acceptance from this fellowship, people who understood me, and I understood them, um, and I began... I began to grow up. I began to grow up a little at a time. And putting the food down was um, was I don't want to say that it was difficult. I mean it was it was challenging, but it was like nothing compared to being out of control. It's like there was they told me what to do. You told me what to do. So yeah. When I finished my weight and measured breakfast, I wanted the exact weight and measured breakfast again right away. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But since that wasn't an option and since food had controlled me and since I was so upset with what food had done, what I did was I listened to what they told me what to do. After I had a weight and measured breakfast, I would say, thank you, God, my meal is over. Thank you, God. I don't have to eat even if I want to. Thank you, God, my meal is over. Show me what to do now. And that's what I had to do. I had to ask for guidance to know what to do then. 
And in the beginning, it was as basic as get up, Carol, and wash your breakfast dishes. And that's what I would do. Now, God, show me what to do next. You know, and thank God for a sponsor who guided me and showed me day to day how to live my life by weighing and measuring three meals a day, by writing my food down. Um, that has been such a gift to not to not worry if it's too much or too little because it's the exact amount that's on the scale. Um, that I didn't have to trust myself anymore because I couldn't trust myself for a long, long time. And, and it was okay. I trusted my sponsor. I trusted my fellowship. I trusted my scale. And eventually, I began to develop a relationship with my own God. Um, at the beginning, the thing that I looked to to help me was my meetings. And I, I remember the first time I had a strong, strong food thought a few weeks after I got abstinent. Um, I had such a strong food thought and the only thing that kept me was thinking of all of the people in my meeting the night before who also probably were having this food thought at the moment and I thought if they can resist it right now then I can too so the power of the group is what helped me um, and I have such gifts in my life I was lonely I was like I said I picked men that were not healthy at all and um and in this program, I've been blessed with a wonderful husband, uh, a marriage. I never thought that I could, I never pictured myself doing normal things like some women do, getting married. That wasn't something that I thought was possible for, for me at all. Um, but I'm so grateful that I, I met my husband at a time where I was feeling whole, where I was feeling okay, where I didn't need someone else to tell me I was okay. I didn't need someone else to tell me I was okay in order for me to think that I was okay. I was okay just because I am who I am. That's because I'm a child of God. And um, and he knew when he met me that he was marrying someone who was going to three meetings a week, who was getting up in the morning and making phone calls, who was who couldn't go out for Chinese food with him and couldn't go to pizza parlors. And um, it was a decision that he had to sit and really think about seriously. <laughs> but he made it, and I'm, and I'm really grateful. And it wouldn't be an option for me not to do those things because this is what I need to do in order to live. And um, we've been married now 15 years, thank you, God, with a beautiful 9-year-old daughter. And, you know, life happens. It's been a beautiful, wonderful life. We've, I've had... Um, Ups and downs like everybody has in their life. You can't be a human being and not have problems. But I have a solution for every single problem that I have ever gone through. The solution has been the same. It's to ask God for help, to practice gratitude, to help another person. It's incredible being so self-centered and so self-absorbed and wanting to be gratified and feel comfortable and feel pleasurable. That's where I'm coming from. Today... What I want more than anything is to help another food addict. And that's the truth. From the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, what I want to do, what means more to me than anything, is to help another food addict. When I come to meetings, I say, God, use me, help me. That's what I care about more than anything else. And to live the way I believe God wants me to live.
I don't have to hide from anyone anymore. I used to walk down the grocery I used to walk down the uh, the aisles of the grocery store, and if I saw someone I knew, I would avoid them. I'd walk down the other aisle, you know, because I, I just couldn't show myself to anybody. I didn't want anyone to know who I was. And, you know, and you know, to be honest, when I first came in and when I got married, my husband eats things that I don't eat. And if I saw somebody in program in the grocery store and they saw that I had food in my cut, I thought, oh, they're going to think that I'm eating. Oh, my God, I can't see them so right away when I would see them I'd say hi that's not mine that doesn't belong to me you know <laughs> you know because I guess I wasn't at a place where I fully trusted myself yet I don't know I don't have to figure it out but that's another wonderful thing I don't have to figure out this program I just have to be willing and open so I'm so grateful that um that we've recently formed Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. It's like this is really honest. It's really honest for me to be in this fellowship where we can shout to the world that we know there needs to be unity around what the definition of abstinence is. I am a food addict, and I absolutely have to abstain from sugar and flour, and that I absolutely have to weigh and measure my food in order to have the wonderful, happy life that I have. I have an incredible life, and it's because of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous that I have the life that I have. I, I can't tell you the gratitude in my heart is unbelievable um, for this program, for, for giving me the courage to do things that I don't want to do but that I know are important for my growth. You know, it's like walking one step after the other, keep moving, keeping moving one foot after the other, trusting, not eating, asking God for help, being willing to feel uncomfortable sometimes. You know, that's something that, um, you know, is makes me so grateful, even if it's I'm uncomfortable, I'm even more grateful during those times because that's how I grow. That's how I grow. You know, I've recently taken on a position as co-chairman of the office committee of FA New England Intergroup. This is brand new stuff for me. I'm a much more comfortable follower than I am a leader, and this is an area for me to grow in, and I'm taking action, and it's been wonderful. I've had such opportunities to keep asking questions, you know, to swallow my pride. God knows just what I need because I've had to keep saying, can you explain that again? Can you explain that again? Over and over again to, to get information that I need for this position that I'm in. I feel like a million bucks. I feel so good about myself. No amount of food, no amount of anything could make me feel as good as when I walk through a situation abstinently with God um, and that I'm not alone. It's so wonderful to have a fellowship, and it's just, um, it's just amazing. I have so much to be grateful for. Yeah, but yesterday, I, um, when I got up in the morning, well, I should tell you how I work my program on a daily basis. I get up, I get on my knees, I ask God for help for another day of contented abstinence. I read a page of the little black book, the 24-hour day book. I read it usually a couple of times so that I can really meditate, you know, and think about what that page is telling me. 
I um I've had I had three I have three way to measured meals planned for that day already. Um for many years I wrote it down and called it into a sponsor. I I don't do that now, but I'm not immune to if I'm having you know, food thoughts or a problem with food or, or something's going on with my food plan to absolutely be honest with my sponsor and to get it taken care of. Um, but I have three weighed and measured meals a day. Um, I go to three committed meetings, including AWOLS, which stands for A Way of Life, which is a study of the 12 steps in sequence with a group of people who are also committed to abstinence. Um, I take 30 minutes of quiet time a day, which is such a precious time for me to just sit and sit with God and relax. Um, this summer it's been particularly wonderful because I have a screened in porch and the birds are singing and it's just so beautiful to sit there and just enjoy listening to them as I take my quiet time in the morning. This is amazing, someone who's been so racy and running around and so busy all the time to enjoy being quiet and relaxed and serene. These words weren't even in my vocabulary before I came into this program. Serenity, calmness, that, that was for boring people, I thought, people who didn't have a life. You know, I have a hell of a life, let, let me tell you. I've got a wonderful life. You know, I, I was just sharing with the sponsee on the way here that, I do karaoke every now and then without getting drunk. Like I used to have to drink in order to dance even a little bit. And, you know, believe me, my legs felt like jelly when I did, when I did karaoke, but I did it anyway by asking God for help and I ended up having a blast. And, um, and I live in the real world. My husband isn't an addict and he can, you know, he's, well, no, it's not true, but. He's not an alcoholic, and he can have a couple of drinks. And he said, I'll do karaoke with you, Carol, but i got to have a couple of drinks. And it's like, that's okay. Live and let live. You know, he can do it. I, I'm so grateful that that's not an option for me. Because if I have a drink, there's no stopping me. I know myself. If I have a drink, it'll, it'll take away the anxiety a little bit. It'll feel good. And that's dangerous to me. You, you, you give me something that feels good, I want more and more and more of it. And... um program feels good, so having more and more and more of this isn't going to hurt me. This is what's going to save my life. This has saved my life. So what else did I do? I do? Oh, I didn't finish off telling you my daily disciplines. Um, I connect with people on the phone, and, um, and I read a page from the big book at night. And I practice lots of gratitude as much as I can possibly consciously remember during the day. I say, thank you, God. Oh, yeah, and that example I wanted to tell you um, about what happened the other morning is because of this program, I'm slowed down enough most of the time to remember the beautiful things that happened in my life. And the other morning, I went into my... I, my daughter was sleeping in our room because it it's broiling hot right now these days. It's, it was, we've just been going through a heat spell. Today is July... 18th, and it's been very, very hot. So she's been sleeping in our room. She's she's nine years old, and my alarm goes off at 5:30 in the morning um, to get up to take my sponsee calls. And she woke up and she put her arms straight out to have me hug her. It was like, oh, it was such a wonderful greeting. And then an hour and a half later, 
My husband came downstairs. He was on his way to exercise or something. And he did the same thing. He put his arms straight out in the kitchen to have me hug him. And it's like, I don't take, I don't want to take any of these things for granted at all. Everything I have in my life that is so precious is a gift from God. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't be open to any of these gifts without this program. You know, I turned good things away in the disease too. I turned opportunities away because I was scared. And it just feels so wonderful to practice gratitude. And the reason I say that is because that's, that's a muscle that is natural for me now, but it was not a natural muscle for me. Practice being grateful was not natural for me before program at all. And I heard early on, and this is what I'm going to end with. Yeah. I remember hearing early on in my program that um, a grateful heart doesn't eat. That has really helped me tremendously, and it continues to help me. And a grateful heart doesn't eat doesn't mean that everything is wonderful on the surface of things, that you know maybe there aren't issues that are disturbing me or upsetting me, but it means that my attitude is grateful, you know, that I have a program that can help me, that I can always turn something around, you know, that there's somebody that I can talk to about a problem. No matter what it is, um, no matter what it is that's going on in my life, I don't have to be alone with it. So uh, I appreciate this opportunity to pass on my re- 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 recovery and that I hope it helps somebody else. Thank you. All those who wish to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.